If you guys have not been with us the last couple of weeks, we're going through a sermon series called The Way We See the World. And what we mean by that is that if you go to an evangelical Christian church and you read their statement of faith, they're going to be very similar. Um, but the way they practice that statement of faith, that they believe in God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, they believe in the Holy Spirit and that he empowers the church, and he's present in the world still. Um, even with all those things, the way that is expressed can look very, very different. And so um, we want to share at the Refuge Church how we see the world through something called our theological vision, which can be a big crazy word. What we mean by that is the way we see God and then the way we see him interacting with us and asking us to interact then with our neighbors, right? To love God and love our neighbors. So our theological vision is simply this, to be a church of the city, incarnating King Jesus in city life, speaking its language, singing its rhythms, sharing spaces, to free the oppressed, fighting injustice, finding people of peace, and inviting the city into the kingdom of God. Last week, uh, Jordan looked at what it looks like for us to uh, share the spaces in the city, to speak the same language of the city, um, to sing its rhythms, and why we would do that. He shared from 1 Corinthians 9 that Paul says, I want to become all things to all people so that maybe a few of them can finally hear how good God is. Um, and so in that, we saw Jesus' presence, right? That Jesus wants to be present. In John 1.14, it says, um, the word Jesus became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. <laughs> that, that we see him come and just sharing his life in very ordinary ways, and we want to learn how to do that. So the presence of Jesus. This week and the following weeks, we're going to look at the power of Jesus and how we as a church get to share his power, namely this week, in freeing the oppressed. In freeing the oppressed. Um, oppression is simply this. Uh, cruel or unjust exercise of authority. Cruel or unjust exercise of authority. And, and I'm going to, I think probably a lot of what I said up till this point, uh, maybe you are going, that sounds like a great sermon for somebody else. Um, what I want to show us is that that all of us have experienced oppression. And then to ask ourselves, is it possible then to be free and to see how, how maybe, maybe for me, Jesus offers that freedom. Since oppression is a question of authority, I want to show you just first how authority is given and how it's, how it's lost in the story of two kingdoms. The first is... Um, the creation of the world and the kingdom of God. So when God created the world, everything fell under God's authority. And so that means that, that no matter what happened, God's, God's rule and his reign, his hands were all over it, right? So God created Adam and Eve, and they were in a relationship with each other, and everything they, they did, they could, they could understand that in relationship to God. So if... <laughs> Say they had a disagreement, and Adam was like, God, should I get angry at Eve? And God would be like, no, bad call. Right? So there was just this, like, the authority of God. Everything fell under that. And so the expression was peace and safety. There's no need to be scared. There's no need for fear. So I want you to imagine a world where there was no need 
for fear. Where people were completely safe all the time. And the reason for that is because everything fell under the unquestioned authority of God. What happened was that that people, Adam and Eve, were tempted to replace the authority of God with another authority. And so the temptation was this. You have God, but guess what? You could be God. You can call the shots. The best thought in your mind, maybe that is the better thought. And so they replaced the authority of God for their own authority. And literally what happened was they handed the keys of the kingdom over to Satan. Um, And that might seem like a huge jump for you, but literally, if God's not in control, if we don't fall under his safety and his umbrella of protection, what happens is it leaves room for anything else to come in. Okay? And so in handing it over, the Bible talks about the second kingdom, the kingdom of the world, in a very different way. It talks about Satan in, first, in 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, and in John 12.31 is now the ruler of the world. One who, in John 10.10 10 it says, has come to steal and kill and destroy. In Ephesians 6.2 it says, our struggle isn't against flesh and blood then. Our struggle isn't against each other. But our struggle is in this spiritual realm, whether there are authorities and powers that literally... There's no shield of protection between us and that. Because we said, God, we don't want your authority anymore. We don't want to live under your rule and your protection anymore. We'll take it from here. And so what that's, that's made way for is spiritual oppression for this cruel and unjust authority to have claim right, claim authority over our lives. And the way this is expressed is in a lot of ways. And, and I want you guys to, um, as you hear this and understand spiritual oppression, what I pray for you is that you hear in this that you don't need to feel alone in it. Um, the way this is expressed is different ways. Depression, the feeling of hopelessness, uh, the feeling that there is no reason for living, Overwhelming fear and anxiety. Um, the feeling that, uh, you know, I don't know where this is coming from. I don't know why, but I'm just absolutely consumed by a paralyzing struggle right now. Right? Maybe I don't even want to walk out the door. Maybe I'm terrified to talk to somebody. Or if they only knew what was going on inside of me. Also a feeling of shame or self-condemnation. The feeling that I am not or will not be good enough. The feeling of bitterness. <laughs> man, that person treated me this way, or maybe even the way God has treated me, I am just justified, upset. Um, Addictions, um, hearing voices. There are probably a lot of people in this room that have heard voices of condemnation. Um, I went to a training on mental health once and they did a simulation for people who um, experienced schizophrenia and and the simulation was you just sit across from somebody and so I would be talking to to the other person and in my ear another person would be reading a script that sounded something like this you're a loser nobody likes you 
this other person hates you and they just don't want to tell you that. And so they're reading this in my ear while I'm trying to have a conversation, right? Like that's, that's evil, right? But that, that goes on. And the reality is a lot of people, that's not just schizophrenia, a lot of you guys have struggled with that. Voices that condemn you. Where does that come from? Well, where that comes from is if God isn't ruling, if he's not protecting, he's not giving us safety, then anything goes. And so the question is, can you be free? Can you be free from oppression? Turn with me to Luke Luke chapter 4. And actually, before we turn to Luke chapter 4, I'm going to read you, um, I guess, I guess I'm what I would call the cry of our hearts um, that is met in the person of Jesus as we go into Luke. So this Advent season, we went through looking at the four names of Jesus. He is, he is called before he comes. In the book of Isaiah, this is what it says the Savior will be like. It says, For to us a child is born, To us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government. There will be no end. He will reign on King David's throne and establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And so into these these crazy circumstances that we find ourselves in, this this, I would say, universal oppression that people find themselves in, and though it is universal, though every single one of you have felt oppressed spiritually in some way at some point, the coinciding feeling, I would say, is that you feel alone in that. Okay? You feel like no one relates with you in that place. But Jesus coming, called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, he comes acknowledging that and providing hope. Right? Listen to the names he is called. The Wonderful Counselor. Well, Why do you go to a counselor? Because you go, I have no idea the screwed up things that are going on inside my own head. Okay, an amen. Right? <laughs> Let's be honest. There are times where you go, like, I, man, people tell me I'm cool, but what's going on in here? I feel like I'm loco. And so, so Jesus is called Wonderful Counselor, one who can speak into that and bring his wisdom into the chaos of your, your mind that, that plays anarchy on itself, right? He is called a mighty God, so one who can come and with authority and force come and chase away the darkness, Right? We have one who is everlasting father who, what do fathers do? Provide leadership and safety. Right? One who will come and provide that leadership and, and safety. A prince of peace. One who will calm the storm in your soul and finally bring you peace. So that's the promise of a savior. The way we see him come, <laughs> we can fantasize about what that will look like, but the way we see him come is here in Luke 4. And this is really the answer to the question, can we be free and how can we be free from oppression. So, Luke 4, we're going to start reading in 14, but just to catch you up with the context that we're in is this. Jesus has been out in the desert for 40 days fasting. I don't know if you've ever fasted for one day, but by the end of that day, 
Like, you see your dog, and you're like, a lot of good meat on that thing. (laughs) You can go a whole day without eating just because you forget, and you're fine, but if you are purposefully fasting, you're, like, desperate. You're like, someone's like, why are you gnawing on that table? Well, I can't tell you because I'd ruin it. So that, that's what fasting is like. So Jesus enters the end of his 40-day fast, and it says he is incredibly hungry. At the same time, he is being led by the Spirit. The Spirit led him into the desert, into this place of vulnerability and weakness, and the, and the Spirit leads him to this place where he is tempted. Okay, so that is a good word for us. I just want to camp there for a second. Just because you're tempted doesn't mean that the Spirit's gone. Okay, Just because you are in a place of weakness and vulnerability doesn't mean the Spirit's gone. But He will give you what you need to withstand that temptation. So every time the tempter comes, the tempter is coming to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus responds with Scripture. He goes, I am hungry, I am vulnerable, everything you say sounds good. But I'm going to hold to what I know is true. Right, so my guess is because Jesus was human, that everything Satan said appealed to his heart and appealed to his mind. And so he probably was like, wow, turning that stone into bread sounds like a real good option. But why did he not? Because he came back to the scripture and he goes, no, I don't live by just that. I live by the word of God, right? Kept placing himself under scripture. Kept placing himself under the authority of God. And so... So from the victory he experiences there, he, he proceeds in verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, verse 16, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogues, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Okay, pause there with me for a second. To give you a context of that, um, how many of you guys are from Bremerton? You're like locals? Okay, some of you are ashamed of that. (laughs) No need to be ashamed of Bremerton. Love this place. So Jesus is a local in this. He is from this place. And what that means is when, when you are from a place... No matter where you come from, no matter what you have done, no matter how impressed people away from there have been by you, right, when you get back in the presence of someone who like babysat you as a child and changed your diaper, you're not cool anymore. Right, they, they're like, I remember disciplining you. And so you literally, you could be president of the United States, but if, if you come back home, you're home. And you guys are just like the last <laughs> gathering. And they... Like, that didn't register. I feel like, maybe because I am in Bremerton and this is home for me. Um, like, I am, I'm the pastor of a church, but I just still feel young because I am in Bremerton. This is where I grew up. If, if that, doesn't, um, if that doesn't, isn't something you relate with, think about when you're back in your own family. Okay, if you grew up, how many of you guys had brothers and sisters? There we go. Yeah. We're on the same page. So... Um, so when you have brothers and sisters, 
you could go away and be like the president of a university, right? You could just be cool. Everyone likes you. But when you get back in that family, you know, the structure of your family, you're still just like younger brother, younger sister, like older brother who picks on younger brother. It still takes place. Right? Okay. (laughs) You guys. Okay. So, So Jesus is back home. He is home. 30 years of his life was spent in this place, in Nazareth, as a carpenter. And around the age of 30, he left to start a ministry. People didn't think he was necessarily extraordinary. You don't get that from here, right? He left and he started gathering some people who followed him around. And he taught about a new way to... um, to enter the kingdom of God. And so they've heard that there's, there is popularity behind the name of Jesus. And so when he comes back home, they give him the opportunity to teach in their church. And they hand him the book of Isaiah. And so he didn't even, he didn't even pull off the shelf himself. They just gave him the book of Isaiah. And he opens up to the book of Isaiah. And this is what he reads. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus isn't elaborating on this. What he says is very simple. But when he sits down, why are the eyes of everyone on him? And I think part of it is simply this. I think they were expecting him to read from the scroll and like all the other teachers say, okay, if you, if you fulfill the law, then you can walk in relationship with God. If you do these things, then you'll be closer to God. But he didn't do that. He, he simply read about a new power, the year of the Lord's favor, when people who were in bondage would be freed, people who were blind would receive sight, people who were oppressed would experience freedom. And instead of going, okay, do all these things, and and then we can be in a relationship with God, he simply says, this is being fulfilled. And so the people, I think not knowing what to do maybe, they said, they spoke well at him and were amazed by his gracious words. And then they just put him back in the old role. They said, isn't this Joseph's son? And then Jesus says to them, surely you will quote the proverb, Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do hear what you did. Do hear in your hometown what you have heard, um, what we heard you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And then what they do, verse 28, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and they drove him out of town and took him to the brow of a hill in which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. What's going on here? How did they move from, from letting him teach in their church to being amazed at his words to wanting to kill him? Wanting to kill Jesus. And, and let me offer that I don't think they knew what happened. 
I don't think the people who, who yelled out when Jesus was before Pilate and the crowd yelled out, kill him, crucify Jesus. I don't think they really knew what was going on in their heart. All they knew was that Jesus had struck a chord so deep in them, a place that they had kept so hidden and safe, that when Jesus, when Jesus started calling it out, their response was get him away and kill him. Jesus didn't want to simply fit into the existing culture. All they wanted was for him to let them be and to say nice things. For them to say, well, all in good time will change. Someday, someday will change. You know those things in your heart that you've gone, Jesus, I'll follow you, but these things you don't touch. These things I'll work on. And when Jesus said to them, This has been fulfilled today and then said, but there is something in you that doesn't welcome me in. And they're like, no, we let you preach. No, but they knew he was touching something deeper there. And so they tried to kill him. There is a rejection of Jesus when we say, Jesus, we admire you. We even like you. We like what you say, but leave alone the parts of me that I'm just not ready to work on yet. Leave alone these parts of me, and if you touch them, I'll kill you. That's literally how they responded to him. Keep reading with me. Luke 4.31. That is the first response we get. Second response is this. He went to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, on the Sabbath and taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his, his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit, and he cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And Jesus said, Be quiet. Come out. And the, man threw, the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. And all the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are with authority and power. He's, he gives order to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread around the whole region. What's the difference here? Well, the difference is on the first side there was silence. And on the second, the first group there was silence. And in the second there was crying out. Right? What we see here is something incredibly uncomfortable. We see a man who... who <laughs> And when exposed to the authority of Jesus, the, the oppression, the impurity in him, this impure spirit cries out and says, get away, don't touch me, be out of here. And Jesus is like, I can work with that. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Like once it is exposed, Jesus goes, yeah, I'm going to take my authority, I'm going to show you that I have authority over all things. But when we are quiet, when we are silent, when we let our oppression be in the darkness, you know what happens? Jesus will walk away. He'll walk through our midst. He'll leave. Why? Because we're not ready to let him heal us. We see throughout the whole of Scripture, when people cried out to Jesus, blind men cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. We saw people who were crippled be taken long distances so they could 
be near Jesus. We saw a woman who was, a, was bleeding for 18 years and tried every single doctor and had lost hope, and she went and just touched Jesus because she just wanted to be near him. She was, she was done with every other solution. She just wanted Jesus himself. We see demon-possessed people being freed. We see Legion who didn't know what to do with himself and just run naked towards Jesus, right? And Jesus freed him. We see parents who feel helpless because they have a child who's oppressed, bringing that child to Jesus, and Jesus healing them. But why? It it really is because they are fully in surrender. They are crying out. They're ready to let Jesus again take complete authority over their life. Guys, we will never experience freedom from oppression if we say, Jesus, you can have a 50%. If we say, Jesus, you can work on these things, but these ones I'm still working on. That will never, ever work. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So what I want to encourage you is to live in that authority. In Colossians 2, 13-15, this is... Let this be freedom for you guys. Colossians 2, 13 through 15, it says this. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He took it away and he nailed it to the cross. He took it away and nailed it to the cross. So the place that some of us are in is this place. I think we see what has happened in our lives. Some of us are very aware even of the oppression in our lives. But for some of us, we have, we have learned, we have taught ourselves that this is our burden to bear. We've taught ourselves that this is just reality for me. This is just, this is just something that I have to deal with. Right? We realize that, that we are, we have sinned, and that, that we in our own authority can't cast out our own oppression. Right? Have you guys been in that place? And so we feel this, this great debt. And what it says here is that Jesus has canceled our debt, that Jesus has taken our indebtedness and nailed it to the cross. And in verse 15 it says, this, having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them on the cross. So what the gift is, is he gives us the gift of moving out of our oppression, under his authority, and into an unshakable identity. Into an unshakable identity, which means I'm no longer trying to do it on my own. I I gave up that game a long time ago. I'm going to put myself under the authority of Jesus. It's how do we do this? This can still seem hard. This can still seem something where I know, because I've been there, this can be something where you go, but Daniel, you, don't, you really don't know my oppression. Um, let me share a story that it's really close to home. Um, and hopefully will offer you a lot of hope. My mom, who probably most of you know and and just like think she's the coolest woman ever she's amazing um, when she was in elementary school she watched a fire prevention video 
and you know how to you know climb out of your window safely and how to you know make exit strategies and and so she watched this video that every kid in elementary school watches but and I think it, it probably is what in the scripture it calls a foothold or a stronghold that but something in that Satan found a way to to insert fear and so she cared for a long time fear of fire and that fear moved into a lot of other areas of her life. Paralyzing anxiety that would absolutely consume her at times. When my parents decided to become missionaries in the Philippines, because you can still be doing works of service, right? When, when you still have these things that you, are oppressing you. And so when they went to the Philippines, this again, this just kept morphing into other areas of her life that would paralyze her with fear and anxiety. When they came back from, from the mission field um, abroad, my dad went to visit a guy named Tom White who, who prayed with him and helped him through um, his things that he had seen while I was there. And during that time, he shared with Tom White about um, the, the fear that had, my mom had carried since she was in elementary school. And so my mom went also and, and Tom White asked her a couple of questions and prayed with her. And, and from that moment on, her fear was completely gone. The oppression was completely gone. And, and before you're like, oh, that's just, I, since elementary school, okay? That's a long time to carry a fear that morphs into other things and makes you at time feel like you are completely helpless. I know that all of us have experienced something like that. You are not alone. All of us have. It could be in the form of depression or addiction. Um, It could be shame or feeling like you will never be good enough. You could still have voices whispering in your ear even at this moment, but not you. You can't be free, just them. They are unique. You are too, but you have to carry this. And I want to challenge you That as a child of God, your inheritance, who you are, is found in Christ, in God himself. Give him all authority. Don't keep things to yourself anymore. Let him take charge. You might say, how do I do that? Well, how we do that is, I'm going to offer you two things. The first thing is this. You really need to welcome Jesus into every single area of your life. Every single area of your life. And the second thing is you need to learn to live in absolute honesty with the people around you. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes that says this. It says, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And it's kind of, it's this metaphor, it's a picture, right? And what it's saying is simply this. The accord by itself will be broken very easily. And I want to press some of you that you over and over and over again have been broken in the same area because you keep trying to do it yourself. And you keep telling yourself, I will not share this. I will keep this to myself because I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to, I'm going to fix this on my own. And you will be broken over and over and over again because that is not the way you find freedom from oppression. Welcoming 
Jesus into every area of your life, surrendering it completely to him, but also living in absolute honesty, learning to walk by the Spirit and walk with him in fellowship with other people. I will speak personally. I have learned the value of this. I've learned the freedom of this. Um, just this week, uh, Daryl, I asked him to pray with me. Right? There's, there are things in my life I have struggled with over the years, and I need people to walk with me. There are sins in my life that, that I have committed that uh, if, I, if I sin, I will within 24 hours confess that sin so I walk in the light. It's a commitment I have made to others because why? Because if I do not do that, I let oppression root deep in my heart and I live in darkness. Me, right? Your pastor. I need that. If I don't confess my sin and be forgiven and healed, what happens is I withdraw from you. And I put this real nice look on the outside that makes you feel worse because I'm feeling more perfect, right? All that's doing is hiding from you guys. I I confess my sins. I welcome Jesus into every area, even if it makes me look bad. Why? Because it's not worth it. It's not worth living a life in the dark. Jesus came that you might have life and have it completely. And a lot of us aren't living in that promise because we're just still trying to hide something. We're trying to do it by ourselves and we keep breaking over and over again. So we distrust the promises of God that are there and are real and are powerful. So church, I want to encourage you guys. I want to beg you guys to cry out to Jesus. And in crying out to him, cry out to one another. Let somebody walk with you. You don't need to be alone. One of the statements in our statement of faith is this. As a church, we are the visible reality of Christ in the world, existing through the power and gifting of the Holy Spirit to glorify God and make him known. We have the ability to do that. In Ephesians uh, 1, the very end of it, it says, we are the fullness of him who fills all things in every way. We can be that as a church if we let him fill us in every way. The church is both the physical, is both physical and spiritual and should seek the healing of the world for both tangible needs and spiritual bondage. Tangible needs, if we have a brother in need, if they need food, if they need shelter, let's work at that. But also spiritual bondage. We know that someone can have a house and they can be the loneliest, most oppressed person in the whole world. We don't want to see that because Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the full. He took our debt to Satan and our debt that we feel like we owe and he took it and he said, I paid for that. Live in freedom now. The church is, get this, we are the light of a new kingdom that is chasing out the darkness of Satan's reign. That is in our statement of faith. This is what we believe, that the church is the light of a new kingdom that is chasing out the darkness of Satan's reign. Let me help chase out that darkness in you. And I want to let you chase out that darkness in me. Why? Because we are living in the light of his presence. Guys, you don't need to live oppressed. Promises of Jesus are for you. Live free. It is so good. And that goodness is available completely to you. Do you believe it?
Amen. Yeah. Okay. Pray with me. Oh God, we have talked about together here sits very heavy on us because I think for some of us there's a hope maybe even mingled with doubt still. Can I be free? God, by your spirit, speak life. By your spirit, open our hearts to know that we can be free indeed. That the things that have caused shame and continue to cause shame don't need to be found anymore in our lives. That there is no shame to confess sin because you already know our sin. There is only freedom in confession of sin. By your mercy, may we walk together in that freedom. The church, we love you and praise things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.